Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So uh, it's a, a real pleasure to um, share the evening with Don Mauricio, who, as I uh, mentioned, uh, is based in Montreal, uh, one of the teachers uh, at the uh, community there that uh, Pascal Eclair is the, is the lead teacher, wonderful uh, teacher, and Don uh, teaches there True North Insight, um, and uh, besides being a Dharma teacher, um, she's a, a very popular uh, yoga teacher as well. Doesn't she look like a yoga teacher? <laughs> um, and um, just a real uh, bright light. It's just been a, a, a real joy getting to know her, Dawn. Uh, was with us at uh, last year's Labor Day retreat with uh, Howie and uh, and Sharda and and I and, and Terry Vandiver and we all fell in love with her and said you you got to come on back. Um, so um, she's uh, um, she'll be with us on this upcoming Awakening Joy retreat and uh, Kate and I are going to be teaching. Her parallel retreat right after that, and Dawn's going to be leading yoga and uh, being with us, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be seeing a lot of her as she comes to this side of the country. Um, And I thought what we could do, uh, rather than having a a prepared talk, is just explore it together. Uh, We were talking about what things we might start off the conversation with, and uh, so I'll. I have a few areas that love to hear um, her perspective and uh, and explore with all of us. And then, as questions come up, and we could just have an open uh, conversation. Um, as I said, uh, Dawn is in this um, new teacher training, our current teacher training, which. Started um, in July of last this last Mm -hmm. last July, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it's it's coming up on a year. Wow! And um, with is it nineteen in the Spirit Rock twenty twenty so nineteen others and uh, and Don going through a four year training. Many of the the teachers um, in this training, and also there's a parallel training that IMS, Insight Meditation Society in uh, Barry, Massachusetts, is doing uh, with another 19 teachers that they're bringing along. And uh, many of those teachers are teachers of color. I'd say about uh, oh, 75% are teachers of color uh, because uh, we're really in need of wise leadership that can um, spread the Dharma 
to um, many, many people who might not normally wander into Spirit Rock who uh, will be... Uh, uh, the Dharma is a healing bomb for for all peoples, all communities, and we realize that particularly in these times, more than ever, um, the pain of marginalized and underserved populations um, and the divisiveness that our society sees witnesses every day um, is um, is really a core wound of our culture. And uh, if the Dharma I see, and uh, I think uh, all of us at Spare Rock and IMS and the teachers see that the Dharma is a, a healing, a force of real healing, and so um, uh, it's it's really inspiring to see all of these new wise teachers who are um, going to be sharing uh, their voices and and helping us all awaken to blind spots and to new perspectives um, and reach people who. Um, will be so served by uh, being exposed to Dharma practice. So um, with that in mind, what, one thing that I thought that I'd, I'd ask you is um, this new generation of teachers, not just in this your cohort, but also Kate uh, was in the last, uh, the last cohort with a number of other uh, new teachers. Spirit Rock just expanded from 25 teachers on the Teachers Council. We added another, I think it was 22 or 23 teachers. So there, there's about 45, I think, um, uh, teachers on the council altogether. So this is a, a new era of the Dharma unfolding. And from your perspective, you've been practicing for a while with uh, the old fogies, uh, moldy oldies, and, and here you are as one of the new voices. And I just wonder how you see the Dharma uh, unfolding in, uh, in the culture in these, uh, these next, these coming years. So um, I just want to start off with saying Thank you for, for letting me come in. Um, I think James only sent the email saying that I would be here this morning. So if you didn't get those new, that news, thank you for staying. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't realize that I would be on the hot seat for about an hour. So this will be a good area of practice for me too. Cool seat. <laughs> cool seat. And... I can only really just share from my perspective as this Canadian coming into the teacher training, so an East Coast Canadian teach, uh, coming into the, this West Coast training based in California, and, um, and there's so much that is still really new to me, learning about just how um, the politics and the culture of, of a lot of Californians and how that gets uh, drawn into the into the Dharma, and it's such an area of learning for me because I think for 
um, as a Montrealer, um, our province, so we have provinces, not states, in case you didn't know. And in our province, it's, the, it's a, a French-speaking province. And so we are very influenced by France and the French, and we have great health care, and, and it's just a, almost a, a socialist leanings in some ways. Uh, however, with things being so... Um, uh, with us being so well taken care of in Canada and feeling relatively safe, and, and again, this is not for everybody, but I think what um, can be a tendency for, for some of us in, in Montreal is uh, leaning towards complacency. And so when I come out here to, to the Bay Area, it's just such a, uh, an area of learning uh, for me to find this voice that is not one that is complacent and just observant, but one that can also still engage. Um, I don't have an activist background, and so what does that mean for me? How much do I um, want to challenge, say, the moldy oldies, as you say, um, and also just the way that things have been shared? Um, I, I, in recent months, I haven't been calling what, uh, what we do or what I'm studying, so, so there might be a difference in view in that way, but I, I call it Western Insight just to acknowledge that even though there are roots that come from, from Asia and the Theravadan tradition, I'm learning from what my teachers, who are uh, educated Americans, uh, white educated Americans, what they've taken from these countries and how uh, they brought it and, and integrated it here. So for me, I call it Western insight. Um, and... One of the ways, uh, I, th I think there are, are many ways that, that this practice can begin to unfold, and what's really great with, um, at least with our, our the Spirit Rock training, the last time we met in January, our days are usually, say, morning, and they end at around 6 or 7 in the evening. But almost every evening, as a cohort, we get together and we do peer-led sessions. And one of the sessions, I forget who put it forward, um, in our training, but one of the sessions was as um, 20 teachers, 19, I think, are, are teachers to be of color. Um, we, just by coming into these institutions, Spirit Rock and, and IMS that are predominantly white or with white teachers, just our presence will already be changing, and, and for some, it might feel like challenging the culture. And so what can we do beyond just our presence challenging or changing, but what can we do uh, with intention or with awareness. And the conversation will be a long conversation, and we do plan or hope to get together with the cohort of Insight Meditation Society as well so that we could brainstorm uh, together as, as 40 predominantly teachers of color. Um, and, and some of the questions that came up, and it was really just a spark of, of a conversation, but it was just what do we uh, appreciate right now in these institutions? What has has worked and what isn't working or what, at least from our point of view, uh, what hasn't been working. Um, another thing that comes to mind is, at least in the Spirit Rock training, about a third of us are also movement teachers. So I think whether we like it or not, so in French we say « vive pas », so whether you, whether you like it or not or whether we like it or not, I think there will be a a certain amount of embodiment of, of the practices. And I think when we sit on the cushion, 
it could easily be interpreted as this heady practice, even though a lot of times the instructions invite us to drop into the body. But I think because when we sit and we're still, the thoughts can be really... Um, uh, uh, a lot of French is coming up for me right now. Envahissant. So very, say, like uh, overwhelming or take up a lot of space. And so, um, and so I think, uh, at least for me, I know I really appreciate... Um, a lot of movement on retreats, and thankfully, I'm a I'm a yoga teacher. Uh, James said, you know, doesn't she look like a yoga teacher? What I also love with the yoga community is that's also being challenged. What does a yoga teacher look like? You know, and I, I love seeing not just diversity in, in say, um, what people are wearing. So maybe not so much tight clothes anymore, or or uh, a certain shape of body, but at least in the yoga world, there's a lot of, uh, of movement towards a diversity of body shapes as well, which I appreciate. But, um, and so, so for me, as a movement teacher, I am able to kind of self-prescribe uh, for when I'm sitting long hours on retreat, and um, there's, it just feels like there are things that are coming up in my body that my body can't contain for whatever reason. And I'm in the process of, of looking at what that might be. Uh, I'm curious because I feel like I've had a pretty um, stable, although in, in a lot of ways being a child of immigrant uh, parents, it, it was unstable. But, but for the most part, a pretty stable upbringing. So I'm starting to think, is this something from uh, another, uh, another generation, a transgenerational kind of stuckness that's coming out in my body? And so... I'm able to explore that on retreat through movement. Um, but it just makes me think, how ma- for how many others are, are they experiencing something visceral that may not be getting addressed on the cushion with our zabutans and the, and the separateness and the encouragement for stillness. Um, so, and, and this is just you know blanket kind of stillness uh, generalizations I'm saying about how retreats are taught, which is not always the case, and depending on who your teacher is one-on-one. But these are things that I know that I want to look at and bring forward, just this integration of more um, the rest of the body, say, you know, eyes down kind of thing. Um, and, uh, And another thing that is also piquing my curiosity is this idea of, of a big container, ABC, so a big container. Just if, if uh, when we leave retreat, if we understand that nothing is left out of practice or outside of our practice, then when we're on retreat in a formal setting, how can our container still be big to hold all that might be coming up for us? Um, but that might not look like the traditional sitting and walking, so these are. What else would that include? So I'm really in the process of discovering what that can be for me as a support uh, for my practice and what comes up. But things that come to mind is just again, like I mentioned, some some regular movement. I know not uh, at least Spirit Rock is pretty good with having a movement teacher of some kind on almost all retreats, but um, I'm not. Uh, I I don't know if every sangha has that. Um, True North Insight, where where I come from, uh, in our sangha in Eastern Canada, we don't always have a movement teacher, for example. So, 
So movement being one of them. Or for me, I had a lot of virya, a lot of energy that that came up on one retreat. And I think uh, it was it was like busting out at the seams. It was just I was really really agitated. And um, and I think at that time my teacher was Joseph, and he said, "Go run. You know, the walks in the woods are no longer." enough for you, so go run. And I think the first run I did, I hadn't run in months or something like that, but it was eight miles or something like that. And I only stopped running because my legs were tired. But I thought I, I could have ran to Boston and back, I think, from, from Barry, Massachusetts. So, and then I'm also curious about, uh, so I'll be sitting with Tanisara and Kitasaro next uh, spring. And so in, in almost a year, which I feel will come quickly, but I'm curious about the Kuan Yin practice. So maybe integrating movement that is still um, uh, an expression of reverence, so, so prostrations or the chanting, the regular chanting. Um, yeah, and then um, and just maybe how even things like nature can support us. Um, in, in ways that we might not realize, or so just like going out and lying on the grass or being aware of ticks or, <laughs> or you know, my dream, and I know this, I don't believe this will happen at Spirit Rock or IMS, is like, but there's like a room with dogs or kittens or something like that, and when your system is on overload, you go into that room of, of animals. And I say that partly in jest, but when I practice... Um, in Asia, one of the things that I appreciated a lot was that there was always like dogs or cats to, to take care of, um, because a lot of the people who lived around, um, if they if their cats or, or dogs had had puppies or kittens and they couldn't take care of them, they would drop them off at the monastery, knowing that they'd be taken care of in some way. And so, uh, so that was always a nice balm for my heart, just being around little animals mm-hmm. too so anyways these are some things that that support me in my practice mm-hmm. good well that, that that's that's a, a starting point um it, and it occurs to me just uh something that uh is good to keep in mind that when whenever the dharma would travel to another country or culture it would Take on some of the the flavor of that culture, like when it went came from India and went up to Tibet and took on the the flavor of uh, the Bon religion, which was uh, which was practiced at the time in Tibet. And there's a, a whole rich feeling of iconography and uh, and and devotion and um, uh, a very unique flavor of Tibetan Buddhism when it came to China and became Chan Buddhism, as this monastery is uh, an example of. And when it went to uh, Japan, uh, then it, uh, that Chan became Zen Buddhism, and there's a, uh, definitely a, a flavor of the Japanese culture, uh, the same with Korea, etc. And here it is, uh, in the West for these, oh, probably, uh, 40 or 50 years or so. Um, and it's taken on its own flavor, as you're saying, Western insight. 
And now, with this new wave of the Dharma, uh, particularly, for instance, as uh, as one of the the voices of of color, I see the um, uh, the the whole understanding and uh, waking up through um, diversity issues as being not just something that's good for uh, the marginalized or minority groups, but it's good for all of us. We we need to see through that separation. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about how you see this unfolding uh, and maybe your uh, your part in that. So I want to go back to something you said a, uh, a minute ago, and I like the the specification you gave where you said um, uh, Buddhism has come to this stateside 40 or 50 years, and, and then you, you said Western insight. And I appreciate that specification because there are communities. I mean, we're in, in, in one right now. There, there have been communities of uh, Buddhist practitioners who have actually been here longer. Um, and, and you see them in, in other temples. But it's just, it's, it's the Western insight portion that has been, um, that we're practicing together that has been around for 40 or 50 years. But, you know, when um, workers came to, to partially build this country or railroads or whatever it might be, they brought with them their religion. And there's an article that if, um, that I read that talks about this in particular that called uh, We've Been Here All Along. So if you Google that, um, that's, a, that's a, a great read. But um, going back to your question, which is almost slipping my mind right now. <laughs> Come back. But, um, yeah... Yeah. Diversity and, and, and healing. In mm-hmm. that's so, so a lot of times I've experienced going into these retreat centers as we're, we're coming to, to learn these, uh, what are sometimes called universal or these absolute truths that are sh- were shared by the Buddha. And so in a lot of ways I found uh, great value in some of these teachings, um, like non-self or... Um, or even just uh, impermanence, and, and a, a lot of these teachings that you hear from the teachers when they sit up up uh, on on the stage. Um, but then I also felt a lot of conflict personally when I would practice because um, sometimes through whether it's the examples that were shared by some of the teachers or just the way that the teachings were expressed, I didn't feel like they necessarily spoke to some of my experiences growing up. Um, and so for me, there was a big, the big piece was, uh, what's, what I often hear now is being called the relative truths. And a lot of times, um, I, I know personally, I felt a little bit, um, embarrassed maybe to speak to my teachers about, about what I was feeling. And at that time, some, most of my teachers were often, uh, white teachers that I I really appreciate, but I just felt like maybe they wouldn't understand necessarily. And so um, I would just kind of continue going along. And and in a lot of ways, it was just another way that I would assimilate as a way to to survive or to to belong or to not 
uh, rock the boat necessarily. Um, and so it was really when I did the last, um, the Spirit Rock program, the Dedicated Practitioners program, uh, DPP-5, if anyone's listening. To them, but um, um, but basically, we would have what were called um, home groups. So at, uh, it was like a gathering. We'd be maybe five people or something like that, and we'd meet once a day for about forty-five minutes or an hour. And at some point, maybe by the second of the fifth uh, of five retreats, um, we our home groups started being um, split by affinity, and so I would be in POC home groups. And there was this level of just kind of relaxation that my body would have when I would be surrounded by practitioners of color that I didn't even realize I didn't have access to. I didn't realize that when I was going into the larger Dharma halls that there was a little bit of a holding on. Um, and so so that's when I started really um, uh, identifying or self-identifying as a, as a person of color because it felt like it was a safe place to do so. And um, and then I started, and I still am in the process of it, but trying to untangle some of the ways I've de- denied this I, this part of me, this this uh, person of color, or in the ways that I've assimilated. It just like how I'm really good at eating with a knife and fork, but I was raised eating with a knife and spoon. Uh, sorry, a fork and spoon. So uh, you know, so so looking at ways where where even in the in the dining hall, how can I claim a little bit of of that part of me. And so I think it was Larry Yang who said something along the lines of the relative is really, really important because who we are is where we start. And I just love that. Who we are is where we start because uh, we all have certain experiences and, and that's really where our practice can begin given how we're showing up to the, on the cushion in any moment, and that is really just fueled by all of these conditions of our pa- uh, of our past that have led up to this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so we can't deny that relative part. And and I used to want to deny it because, again, I felt like maybe others wouldn't understand. But also, I thought there was a little bit of this um, uh, this idea that that if we hang out in the relativeness or the relative side of things, then that's kind of like the basic, basic dharma. You know, you're not really accessing what, what this practice really has to offer because you're hanging out too long in the, on the relative kind of plane. Um, but, but I no longer see it as a stepping stone, but rather it's this um, both and. Both are, are necessary, and both are what is feeding my practice in different ways. I'm, I'm just remembering um, last week I had a really rich conversation with Ruth King, mm. uh, and if you aren't familiar with her, she's a, a really wise woman, a teacher of color, uh, she uh, is, is. We're going to post the conversation. One of those I've mentioned it here. Uh, conversations with the wise uh, series of conversations that uh, I posted on the uh, post them on the Awakening Joy website, awakeningjoy.info for anyone uh, listening. And um, I've had conversations with Tara Brock and Guy Armstrong and. Uh, 
Tanisara and um, uh, Rick Hansen, many, many wonderful teachers, Julia Butterfly Hill. And uh, we just had one with, with Ruth. Um, it was great. And she made the point um, that I want to bring up here um, that um, uh, people of uh, white people don't realize the perspective that they bring is very different than a perspective of uh, uh, most people of color in that white people don't think of themselves as part of a group. They are individuals um, and don't even identify as part of a a racial group. Uh, We are individual people uh, and how we hold ourselves in that identity, whereas she made the point that most people of color um, see themselves first as part of a group, that they, uh, they have with a common experience because they are... Um, by the the virtue of the fact, held in a different way and identified as part of a, a racial group, and that has a profound effect on relating, relatability, having a sense of community, having a sense of we're we're all in this together, uh, in a very different way than uh, than most white people. Um, and it, it, hearing that and other ways that there's conditioning that uh, whatever group you're a part of or don't realize that you're a part of, that we bring, that's, that's, um, uh, that we have to learn uh, that our perspective isn't the, isn't the only perspective. Um, just wonder, any, any comments you have... To add on that. Yes. <laughs> I, I, oh, good. I had a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exclamation mark. But basically, um, uh, that's, in a lot of ways, that's pointing, that points to a lot of experience, experiences I've had on retreat where, um, where m- my experience may be so different than, say, my teachers, my white teachers' experiences. And and if their teachers were also white, then they've kind of just learned a particular, a particular way that practice can unfold or can look like. And so when when I would feel things, and if it felt like it was somehow being received as outside of the box some way... Um, then I felt like I didn't belong, um, that I was less than for for whatever reason, um, uh, and 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 almost unsafe because if I f- I felt like no one no one can really hold what is going on for me, and and I can barely hold it because of I, I'm practicing in this intensive environment, and so so it. Um, it's challenging, and I was even told on a retreat that um, not necessarily that the practice wasn't for me, but maybe I shouldn't return to that retreat center. Um, 
And in a lot of ways, I agree. And yet to be told that, um, I don't believe it was said with, with uh, malintention in any ways, but it just kind of reaffirmed that maybe what I, w- what I was going through, and maybe it'll continue coming up for me on retreats, I don't know. But, um, but it wouldn't be held there in a way that, that uh, I could really say flourish from it or that I would feel safe with it. So, so, and that's why I think having a wide array, uh, a diverse um, a variety of teachers is really, really important because the more diverse the teaching teams are or the, or the teachers are, then the more, um, the more experiences can be held within that diversity, um, which is, I don't feel is the case right now. I think since the first teacher training, I, were you in that one? 1980, should I say the number? Will that out you? Yeah, 1984, I think it was. And I think it's something, I don't know how many teachers have been trained since, but I think 11 of, uh, uh, more than 100, uh, 11 teachers are teachers of color. And so, um, so that's just a tiny start of, of what is possible in, in, in regards to what can be held, I think, or what can be unfolded or discovered. Mm-hmm. So w- one of the, the tricky koans um, is that, understandably, people of, of color um, don't want to feel the, the burden or obligation of teaching or training white people. Um, and that's, that's a lot to ask. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, white people wouldn't have won't have a clue um, mostly except for when there's a microaggression and they put their foot in their mouth and they say uh, and and they get feedback oh you know that really hurt mm-hmm. without any awareness of that uh, and i certainly can attest to you know putting my foot in my mouth uh, many times so how how to how to bridge that that gap and i know one thing when ruth and i talked about this is white people doing their own education and learning and and this is something i i think is going to be vital for us to do when it gets to that area of discomfort and microaggression territory and uh, where sometimes a white person might not feel safe because they're afraid of, of saying something uh, stupid uh, or insensitive and and the person of color doesn't want to be feeling that burden of teaching and how to how to how to bridge that that gap you, you with me on that yeah and there's so much that I could I could say and I'm just trying to think of where to start. Um, one thing that's coming to mind is, um, is as you said, that Ruth said, to, to do your own work. And so I think you being here, it, you're hearing the seed being planted if you haven't heard it before already. Um, and those listening as well later on on Dharma Seed. Um, 
And then, and there are tons of resources out there. One book that I liked, uh, I read actually, so that I could uh, perhaps relate to the board members of True North Insight a, a little bit more skillfully was Waking Up White. Um, and and so and then also just to seek out white ally groups or sits. It's just again, don't put it on people of color to to do the educate the educating. Um, and so, so looking, and even on there, are, there are great online uh, trainings as well on how to be a good ally. But in addition to to turning outwards in that way to look for resources, I think this is a little bit where our practice, the rubber hits the road, um, where if we look at say things like what are we believing, you know, we could maybe try and bring awareness to as much uh, as much of our daily life as possible. So one of the things that I like to do, and actually this is, we talked about this, it's in your book, it's this um, idea of contraction and expansion. And so even though you may not be outwardly um, clutching your wallet when a certain group of people walk by you or, or your purse or whatever it might be, but you might have a physical impression, a, a mental, a given, say, seeing these people, so seeing through the eye door, and then maybe there was a, a thought that passed through the mind really quickly that was um, a judgment or a bias. But a lot of times we don't, uh, these things happen so quickly that we don't catch them. But as practitioners, you might be well-versed in, in feeling the body and then what's sometimes called post-mortem uh, mindfulness, so that, that quality of investigating afterwards. So you might have clutched your purse or your wallet after you, you saw something. There was an unconscious thought. But then maybe afterwards, once you take a few steps uh, away and then you realize suddenly when you feel the expansion, wait a second, there was a little bit of contraction what just happened? You look down the street and you see, oh yeah, there's that group of, of people uh, that I had a reaction to. And then to ask ourselves, um, what story am I believing? So that's something that I try and do because thing is also with, with trying to get people of color to educate, we don't, we haven't figured it out either. We have our own biases as well. Um, and so we're going through this along with you. It's just we're uh, our process might look a little differently from yours. And so that's one way that I try and look at some of my implicit or unconscious biases. It's like, how am I in the world trying to track just in, um, contraction and expansion and just how um, that might, uh, if, if I actually acted it out, because sometimes there's enough mindfulness for me to not act something out. But uh, to see, well, whoa, what if I did act that out? What is it based on? Um, and I have a, a, a YouTube practice of this. I don't know if you uh, are YouTubers, the black hole of news clips on YouTube. But, um, but I even try and, and track contraction and expansion when I watch the news or read headlines and just uh, try and observe how are, how are certain, say, opinions from people or commentary, how is that landing? And do I place more value, perhaps, if it's someone of a certain gender or if whom I perceive has a certain level of education that has certain uh, skin color, etc. And so because uh, at least I watch YouTube in the, in the safety of my own home, so I can be completely honest with myself. And a lot of times it's it's uh, disappointing because I like to think I'm, I'm a certain way, that I'm 
progressive or whatever it might be, but then to, to catch it happening um, then just gives me more inspiration or motivation to, to try and see it when it's coming up in, in real life. Yeah. Well, well, and what you're pointing to is, uh, for me, um, a very um, central Dharma point uh, that I try to hold this uh, conundrum and this um, uh, waking up. And by the way, Waking Up White is is a really great book. Uh, Debbie Irving and uh, all the Spirit Rock teachers have been given copies, and it's required reading. Uh, really, really good one. Um, but what you're pointing to is, I think what the Buddha pointed to is that we are all creatures of our conditioning. And the more we can understand the conditioning, both personally and within our family of origin and our immediate upbringing and societal, systemic, with the group that we are part of, we're not realize that we're a part of, or the messages that come from um, from media and all that for me that's where the guilt or the blame shifts to compassion and understanding um, for ourselves for our own blindness and conditioning for our Reactions to others, like you say, as you track it and you can see the contraction or the uh, or the release or expansion, and for others conditioning, you know, when you ever, I'm sure you know what it's like when you say, "Why do they think that way? How could they possibly?" And when you realize, oh, we're all creatures of our conditioning, then it can be held with some kind of understanding, compassion and understanding, forgiveness, not not that things are okay, but that there's an understanding in seeing that's how it works for every human mind uh, in one way or another. This is what the Buddha was talking about. It's all about good habits and understanding the blindness there. So, um, yeah, uh, any, any thoughts, any comments? Uh, yeah, um, it, it kind of is making me think of um, the, the teachings of uh, wise intention or wise thought, as it's sometimes um, referred to. I like to use the word helpful instead of wise so that you know, it's. I think wise and unwise are sometimes skillful, wholesome. Those can feel very binary, like good and bad. Um, so I like helpful. Helpful to what uh, what helps to create more well-being in our lives. And so um, uh, there's one of the ways, or one of the the parts of the teachings, is this three folds of of um, helpful thought or helpful intention. Um, and the, the three parts are um, goodwill, harmlessness, and renunciation. But for that, that teaching to me, it, um, 
is very is broad and it kind of aligns or the way that I'm interpreting interpreting it these days is it aligns with our values and our values um, with with a lot of people we might share a lot of the same values but not the same views but the and values are just our principles or standards of behavior um, and then when we break down this idea of intention into say something more immediate and uh, I think the Pali word is chetana, so it's it's like this very subtle and immediate um, urge. The way that I think uh, some of our actions come alive, um, it's it's it sometimes can be like the, our reactions. Um, and so if we if we start looking at, at uh, or start training ourselves to look at how um, we react to things, I think that's very telling and points towards what some of our values are. I think Carl Jung said something like, there's a collective unconscious, but then if that's possible, then hopefully there's a collective conscious consciousness as well. And then, um, and then also something like, um, um, how, how we're born into, as you mentioned, these, we're born into certain conditions and we don't, we don't often choose these conditions that we're born into. And then based on those around us, our family, the society, the conditions we're born into, there are certain um, standards of behavior that become these norms or these cultural norms. And then that's where I find we often differ. So not in our, um, in our values as a society, but more in our views. And it's really based from these, or comes from these, these conditions we've been born into. Um, and then that's when I think the quality of investigation, again, um, really needs to come alive. But again, to be balanced with mindfulness, because we can investigate and, can, and, can, and investigation in some cases can only can come across as uh, a lot of blame. And so to, to also hold it with mindfulness. And so to start looking at, at some, you know, like, is it true that people who speak a certain language, who have a certain level of education, um, who look a certain way that they that we should value them more than others, um, uh, yeah. So, so that's what what comes to mind. This idea of of, of wise thought or, or helpful thinking, and and also the we've talked about in the past couple of days this quality of humility. I think that's um, being scared to cause harm, which is a valid fear, but it's almost uh, to a certain extent unhelpful because it doesn't um, it doesn't move us towards well-being for others it's more like it actually helps to m- maintain certain systems that continue to cause harm so it's actually the opposite um, when we when we're trying to when we're pulling back and protecting ourselves and so it's it's can we uh, bring a certain level of humility so that when we do get called out for having our foot in, uh, for putting our foot in our mouth, that it's a learning experience as opposed to something like, well, that wasn't my intention, that's your problem. But rather, can it be a learning experience of like us pausing and feeling the impact of the harm the, and really feeling the discomfort? So a lot of times when we come across discomfort, and it's just human nature, we, we want to kind of, we want it to be over, um, or we and we brush it off, or we might uh, we might blame another. You know, like that's if you can't handle handle it, then it wasn't my intention. That's your problem. So we, we tend to brush it off. 
But if we really, I think, give ourselves the time to feel the discomfort, then then it gives us a chance to also then recalibrate our our action, that urge. It's like, oh, wait a second, that wasn't so so helpful. Um, and then I'll put the feelers or the the radar out so that if something like this comes up again, hopefully I'll I'll have learned not so that learn to to withdraw, but learn to perhaps cause less harm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just having the intention to cause less harm is a great start than trying to put the pressure on ourselves to cause no harm, mm-hmm. because I don't I don't think that that'll actually happen. Mm. So you have to be. Um, not afraid to make a mistake, just knowing you're doing the best you can with good intention. But that also means that if you make a mistake, to let go of the defensiveness and just be interested in in learning, mm-hmm. and that it's okay as long as you're coming from goodwill. Your your intention is is good, and and that's that's how you learn to. Uh, Actually, through making mistakes is is uh, my inspiring uh, 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 teacher Julia Butterfly Hill says, "As long as you're learning, there are no mistakes." Um, and humility is one of Don and I have spoken. It's it's one of my favorite words because it's it's letting go of thinking that you know it all, and uh, and there's a kind of um, Openness to discovering and to uh, uh, to surrendering your uh, your position. So let me ask, and maybe we'll open up to a few if, uh, if there's other questions. But I, one one last thing before I open it to the group, and that is, um, here you are uh, in your earlier years and in uh, in. in the, the Dharma seat. Um, I don't know if you've been asked this before, but it's just coming through me now. What would you most want to convey to people who might be hearing the Dharma for the first time or really listening to what Don Mauricio has to say? What, what do you want to convey? What clever, pithy thing can I come up with that'll make an impact on people's lives? Let me think about it. <laughs> with humility. <laughs> with humility, exactly. Um, what comes to mind is a little bit that this this um, combination of just the courage to to just question our our um, ways of thinking um, but also with humility because I think we can turn inwards and then start all of a sudden trying to to figure out when did I inherit this view or, or where did this come from etc and and then that can be paralyzing in, in and of itself but and and to also know that we won't figure out who's to blame for said view for example. Uh, but to not let that stop you from looking inwards. So just uh, that that courage, and then also trying to see how it comes alive in in our lives. Because if we're practicing on the cushion and you can sit still for hours a day, that's great. And how are you in your lives? How are you treating, say, the uh, 
BART ticket person, or even nowadays the BART machine. I saw a man yell, yelling and screaming at the BART machine because he didn't give him 10 cents or something back. And, and it was a, a little scary. Um, and so, like, how are you treating the people around you? Because if you're not treating everyone um, fairly, equally, whatever it might be, then what's the point in calling yourself a meditator or wearing the robes, if, you know, or wearing the, the mala beads if you wear them? And, um, but then, of course, with the humility, because we won't figure, out, figure it all out in one sitting, um, maybe in, the, in, in this lifetime even, although I hope, I hope so. Um, and so just, but, and yet still, still making it really important because even though it might not get figured out in your lifetime or in our life, lifetimes, it doesn't make it less important in my opinion. Um, and, uh, I don't know, let's insert some, some joy in there or something like that. (laughs) Courage, humility, kindness, goodwill, and, and joy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that sounds pretty good. That could be the title of this talk instead of the future of the Dharma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so we just have, we have a, f- a few minutes left. Any any uh, questions? Or is, oh, thanks, Jaime. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Thomas. Thomas. Uh, I don't. <laughs> so. I have a question for you, very related to the thing you said about Western insight. And, you know, if you go to a place like Spirit Rock or any of the other sanghas practicing this form of insight, you can expect to hear in a talk once or twice at least something about um, in our Western culture or we Westerners, you know, we, this is how we think. Uh, rarely do we hear we Americans, right? It's so. And the word is never defined, what, what in this, these circles the word Westerner means. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, is that uh, a person, like you said, um, born here but raised by parents born elsewhere, mm-hmm. are they also included in Westerners? Mm-hmm. Uh, those who are maybe born elsewhere but have been Americans for 20, 30 years, are they Westerners? Mm-hmm. Uh, are all Americans and Canadians Westerners, by some definition, does that include Ecuadorians and Guatemalans too? Mm-hmm. You know, or what is that definition of Westerner that doesn't include Guatemalans but yeah. does include all Americans and Canadians? What does the word mean? Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't, I don't believe I have an answer to it. Um, but what's coming to mind is I, I love one of my favorite podcasts is an M- NPR podcast called Code Switch. And so I think recently it talked about uh, just even the term first generation, second generation. And, and for whatever reason, that's coming up for me right now. But how a lot of times I think um, so my parents were immigrants and technically by a lot of standards, I'd be considered first generation but then there's uh, people who are challenging that that definition because uh, it it doesn't acknowledge all of the hardships that the immigrants, our parents, had to go through in order to, for us to have this life here. So so now I've started calling myself second generation or a child of immigrants. 
Um, but I just, what I love about your question is it touches on the complexity and the nuance and all of the intersections um, of what makes us, us, uh, human beings. Um, and then just this, this capacity to, to throw a blanket over and say Westerners, because one thing that you didn't mention that I sometimes think of when I use the term Westerners is also Europeans. So I think that sometimes they're included in, in this idea of Western Western definition. But the person right in front of us is not. Yeah. We have using a word that connects with somebody in Finland or Germany, but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? Uh, no, I, I think it it just points to um, the importance of being clear and defining when you're using a word like that. Um, and to um, for yourself to come to your own understanding of of what is useful, what is helpful, and what's not helpful. And if if that seems like it's an ex- um, it's an overgeneralization or excluding some and including others, then uh, it's really important. I've always thought of it as important to um, translate for myself the spirit of what's being said and not getting too stuck on the words because words have power but they can keep us from really hearing the essence of the spirit behind it and so it's important to keep on retranslating what does that mean to me or what doesn't that mean to me and if I could add to that to maybe even ask the teacher because what I love with you asking me this now is I'm forced to or invited to look at when I use that word so 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 that I won't continue perhaps unconsciously causing harm when I throw this blanket statement of us Westerners out when many people might not actually share the experience of whatever Western might mean to them. Um, and so I, I don't know. I know that I would like to be told like, hey, what did you mean by that? So that actually I can say, wait a second, I used that one word, perhaps mindlessly, and I intend to, to be as mindful as possible. And so that just shines the light a little bit more. Yeah, that, that's where the courage comes in, and if it's done with kindness, it makes mm-hmm. all the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any, Thanks, any uh, yes, over here, uh, Sunyun. Hi, my name is Sunyun. And um, I am so happy right now um, to be here tonight. And I, I used to come here a lot, and I haven't been. And tonight I am free, and I'm yay. <laughs> um, so thank you for sharing your um, experience and your reflection. And I have a story to add to that. Being an immigrant myself is um yeah, like pretty much like half year after I immigrated here. I, one night I woke up um, crying because in my dream I was speaking English. And that was a psychological effect and knowing part of myself is gone somehow. And um, since then, you know, a lot of my life, my livelihood depending on me speaking English. So I'm you know, uh, kept on going until, so you talked about the um, responsibility being a person of color. I think just being um, our own self, uh, 
our presence. Um, that's a really an everyday challenge. Um, and I had a moment uh, when I realized that uh, when I used to order uh, sandwiches or coffee, I always gave a, my name is Sinian, but then, you know, mm-hmm. at the checkout counter, I always gave them my name as Cindy. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, for the mm-hmm. convenience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'm, it's not my job to tell them how to say my name. And mm-hmm. so, um, but one day something clicked on me. I was like, no, that's my job. It is my job to tell them to say my name. And um, I started using my name and helped them spell out my name. And, um, you know, with, with my presence. And, and um, I thought that was a, a moment of um, change for me. Um, so I, I feel like another thing is that how, how do we honor each other's uh, differences while we don't negate our sameness? Um, we are all human beings. On 99.999% our DNA is the same. And, um, and I, 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 I don't know. I'm still in, in that um, challenge and when I, you know, I recognize myself as a person of color and I still have a, um, sometimes I, I don't like to call out white people um, as white people because they are, you know, again, how do you define that? And I like to see the compassion and the, the, the heart. We are all beating the same heart in that kind. So that's a practice there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, uh, I think if, if you have more questions, we can hang out here for a little while, but we uh, it's time to formally close. Uh, thank you, Sinyan, for, for sharing and, and being who you are. And, um, and uh, thank you, Don, for, for sharing and being who you are. Am I officially off the hot seat now? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> You've been cool the whole night. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, yeah, may, uh, may we keep on hearing your voice. Mm. A new dawn. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's just take a moment and... Connect as we go inside and just feel a blessing of goodwill in this room and community of like-minded friends. May we all be part of a growing awakening of consciousness and goodwill. And may our being here together help us grow and ripple out to be of benefit to all beings everywhere. And this planet that holds us so generously and graciously. Mm. 
may all know happiness and peace. Okay. Okay. So next week, clear comprehension part two. I promise. Uh, <laughs> have a great week. See you next week. Thanks, Don. <laughs>